Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. Hey all, it's Jesse, the host of Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. Maybe you have heard of me. A quick announcement. We're really excited to share it with you. We're going to be doing a very special live episode of Bullseye. It's going to be Friday, February 15th at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon. What are you going to see if you go to Portland, Oregon to see this show? You will see me live on stage talking with folks like Corin Tucker from Slater Kinney, director Lance Bangs, writer Bill Oakley, Simpsons legend. Uh, we will also have live music from Roseblood and live comedy from Katie Wen. It's going to be a blast and a half. It's also part of a big podcast festival called Listen Up Portland. Tons of other great podcasts are playing at it, too. Our pals, the Doughboys, among others. So, again, that's Friday, February 15th at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon, 7 p.m. Tickets are on sale now. Get them at listenupportland.com. And thanks. I'm Jesse Thorne. It's Bullseye. The stereotype goes, usually, that there are character actors and stars. A character actor can show up in a couple scenes, maybe even five minutes. And in that one moment on screen, they make the film. That's the kind of thing that my guest Tony Shalhoub can do. While a star, of course, you build the whole movie around, or a TV show. They're relatable, usually charming and kind of vulnerable. And my guest Tony Shalhoub can do that, too. He's a veteran of both the big and small screens. He's had unforgettable parts in movies like Barton Fink, Men in Black, Quick Change. He starred in movies like Big Night, TV shows like Wings, and of course, the hit detective series, Monk. These days, he's a regular on the Amazon show, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It's a dramedy set in the late 1950s. Rachel Brosnahan plays the title character, Midge Maisel. When the series starts out, Midge is a housewife living in Manhattan who puts her old life behind her to take up stand-up comedy. She splits with her husband, takes her kids, and moves back in with her parents. And in fits and starts, her stand-up career takes off. My guest Tony Shalhoub plays Abe Weissman, Midge's dad, a role that's gotten Tony a handful of awards, including an Emmy nomination. The show's second season just launched. In it, Midge is still living with her family. Her mother, Rose, has moved out of the apartment. She fled to Paris. And at first, it hasn't really sunk in for Abe. After all, Rose has a big party coming up back home. But in this scene we're about to hear, it finally dawns on him. Papa, are you kidding me? What? Mama moved to Paris. What? Oh, that's ridiculous. Did you hear what you just said? What? You just told me that Mama told you she was moving to Paris. I never said that. I don't feel like I have a life here. Everyone and everything that I have ever counted on has let me down. And you said, okay. No, I said Lamb was okay. And it was. Oh, good grief. Honestly, Papa, you don't listen. Not true. You don't listen to anyone. Not true. I don't feel like I have a life Stop here. Stop repeating that. All right, I'll admit that sometimes I tune people out, but mostly because they rarely have anything useful or interesting to say. It's empty. What? Her closet's empty. Her drawers are empty. Her perfume's gone. Where's her things? Where did they go? I'm guessing Paris. What was she going to wear to the party tonight? You didn't notice this? You sleep right there. You live here, too. You didn't notice either. You're her husband. You're in her closet way more than I am. Tony Shalhoub, welcome to Bullseye. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. I saw you wince at your character saying he doesn't listen to other people, mostly because they don't have anything interesting to say. <laughs> <laughs> 
That sounds a little arrogant, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, one of the funny things about your character on the show is I think the show is not about your character. Your character is a secondary character on oh, the show, a supporting best. character yes. on the show, right? Yes. And in a lot of shows like this, especially funny ones, which this show is very funny, it would be fine to let the protagonist have the journey. Right? Like the protagonist gets to go on a journey. Everybody else has a funny thing about them that the audience recognizes. Yeah, and we support that protagonist's, you know, arc, I suppose. And your character has changed a lot in two seasons of the show. Yeah, it's a very it's rare uh for for series for a character in series television, really. Um because as you say, normally you're you know, you get hired and then you're kind of – you're somewhat limited as to what you're you know, being called on to, to do and what purpose you serve. And for actors, that can be frustrating at times because you, you're the guy that does this or you're the sort of stupid guy or you're the, you know, the Lothario or whatever it is. And you get kind of confined or, you know, kind of constrained into playing two colors – three if you're very lucky and uh i've been fortunate in in this case particularly that you know they're they're just uh my my character happens to be in a in a place in his life where he's in he's in transition like and i think it's because of of the transition that midge is in that you know that my daughter is going through all her changes are impacting all of the people around her and we're not just we're not just stuck in our uh, in our little mode. I was watching the first episode of the second season uh, earlier today, uh, where <coughs> you and your daughter travel to Paris, and you're wearing an overcoat, a, a brown overcoat with a blue check. That um, if they had just showed me that overcoat. I'd be like, yeah, okay. Oh, how many years is the contract for? Like, yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I get to wear that overcoat? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, and that, that speaks to this whole idea that, that uh, you know, this – I like – I love uh, this idea that we're, you know, we're in the fifth, late 50s. I, I, uh, I just – it's I guess the 40s and the 50s have always been a really good – those good decades for me in terms of playing characters. And especially today, because I think we all need, as viewers and as certainly as actors, a respite from present day uh, craziness. And what this, the other thing that this affords us is this, uh, you know, there are no cell phones in this show. There are no computers. I mean, the computers are the size of this room. You know, there's no, uh, there, we're low tech. We're super low tech. And uh, I just find that so refreshing. You were the star of Monk for many seasons. This won't be news to you, Tony. <laughs> I said it as though I might It be. sounds familiar. Yeah, w which was a detective procedural on USA, a comic detective procedural in which your character was the brilliant genius detective who, in part, his genius detecting was colored by his obsessive compulsiveness. And I really think it is one of the best of this kind of show that has ever been made. It, it is so hard 
to make a show like this that is pleasant to so many people that also is sharp and specific and so on and so forth. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it sort of defined what the USA Network even to some extent still is today. But like it's about an incredible specificity and especially in your performance. Thank you. And I wonder what it was when it came to you and how it came to you. Um, the pilot had been, it was first at ABC for a number of years and was kind of languishing there. The, you know, the, with a lot of these things, you know, you it all has to kind of fit together. You have to have the right person and the right, at the right time. And, um, you know, uh, that script was just, was just not getting any traction. And then I think an executive, um, uh, was departing ABC and going over to USA and uh, asked to take this property and see if they could develop it, and that was uh, fine. And then and then I believe it was at ABC. I mean, I'm sorry. I believe it was at USA for a year, you know, before it came to me. You know, a number of people had – they had approached a number of different actors at both networks. And some actors had approached them and it just it just never worked. I even think Michael Richards I heard was circling it for a while or they were circling him. And um, I – you know, I just – it was just fortunate. My uh, manager at the time was reading the pilot for uh, another client of hers. It was, she was actually reading it for uh, the character of Sharona, the assistant. And then – while she was reading it, she thought of me and so sent it to me. And uh, I had never heard of it. I didn't know anything about it. And then I met with the network and the writers, and um, then we were off to the races. And we had to, you know, I was the first one attached. So they asked me, I, I, I mentioned that I would like to be involved as a producer too, so I could have some input and a voice. And so they asked me to read with people, you know, audition. we were auditioning people for Sharona and Stottlemyre and all the other you know, regulars, <clears throat> and which I was happy to do. And uh, that's how we put it all together. What did you think about it when you first saw it? Well, <clears throat> when I first read it, I didn't really respond to it because I didn't s- I thought it was good, but I didn't see my way into it. And I called my manager and I said that. I said, look, I, I, get, I get what you're I – don't, I don't get how – how is this me? And she said <laughs> – very subtle. <laughs> she said, you better read it. I think you should read it again because this is more you than you probably want to admit. And so I did and I read it a second time and, um, and then it started to become clear. <laughs> and um, – you know, and the, the truth is, the, the, the script that I read, the pilot script, as I remember, now this is a long time ago, okay? But the script that I read was, um, it wasn't really the pilot that we, it wasn't exactly the pilot we shot. It was written more, um, it was broader. It was written, I think it originally was conceived more almost like, almost like an Inspector Clouseau-ish thing, except with OCD. It was broader comedy, you know? And uh, that was the part that I felt was 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 not a good fit for me. 
And uh, I spoke to my manager about this, and and then she said, "Well, you should sit, just sit down. You can sit down with the writers and express this, and you know, tell them what it is about it that it works for you, and how you would like to have them change it, and maybe they will." And uh, and that's exactly what I did, and they were fantastic. They were open, and uh, and I said, "Look, I I I love comedy, but I think we should, you know." Maybe tone down the really, really broad stuff and let the comedy come out of the guy's pain and out of the guy's problem. And uh, and also, you have to remember, we're talking about a time when we did this is right after 9-11, not, not long after 9-11. So culturally, I think we entered a new level uh, we were entering a, an age of anxiety, of higher anxiety, which this character, I don't, I mean, you know, I, certainly the show, the script and the and the idea was conceived before 9-11, as I said, it laid around for years. But when it came, down, came time to actually put it on, do it and put it on the air, people were, you know, I think feeling, they were, we're, we're all in a bit of a state of, uh-oh. What now? And, you know, how how fragile is it all? And so we enter, we kind of enter uh, the, the, the mindset of this character, how he's been living his entire life, really, until he met his wife and got better and then she died and then he got worse. So, but then we were entering also at the same time, we were, we knew that we were on a slippery slope because we're dealing with OCD, which is a very real and tragic kind of debilitating disorder and so you don't want to send that up too much you want to honor the people who have it so we had to you know we 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 just were kind of like holding our breath that it was going to be received by that by those people or by you know that community uh in the right way and um do it in do it in a way that we wanted what we were trying to do really was to sort of destigmatize the disorder and um, because the character had so many good qualities and was so talented in so many ways and could make all these gigantic contributions to society um, you know but it but maybe just getting out the door taking fifteen minutes was would be funny <laughs> you know but we did we i think we, the writers did a really good job and and also the whole creative team because you know, in capturing the tone, um, we found that sweet spot, and we got a lot of very positive feedback from people who suffered from the disorder, or people who had family members who did, or even doctors. I get letters from psychiatrists and psychologists, and people say, "You know, I've referenced your uh, your show in our book, in my book that I'm writing about, you know, mental illness." Oh my God, it was. <laughs> It went way beyond what we intended. Yeah, I mean, I think that the challenge, the fact that the the challenge that the character faces is what leads to the resolution and that the the challenge and the pain inherent in the challenge is real makes the hopefulness of it, you know, which is fundamental to this kind of TV is that like part of what you're offering is that the problem will be resolved. So it's yeah. comforting in that way. Yeah. And so the fact that you know that you will get that comfort, but that you will get it from something that actually feels like 
it might mirror pain that you might have or fear mm. that you might have. Exactly. Um, because we all, I think we all do, many, many people do, to a degree. You know, we have these kinds of uh, obsessive, compulsive tendencies. Uh, but, but uh, or, or, or we just get fixated on things or... Uh, but we, but many of us have ways of dealing with it and coping with it and filtering it so that it's not as obvious to the rest of the world, and we don't voice or or demonstrate these kinds of things. Where monk doesn't have that filter, he just says it and does it and feels it and and demonstrates it. Even more from the great Tony Shalhoub. When we come back from a quick break, still to come, he'll tell me where and why he gets the drive to make art. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org. And NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. In 1980, with a few thousand dollars in used dairy equipment, Ken Grossman founded Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Ken's award-winning ales propelled him from home brewer to craft brewer. Today, Ken and his family still own 100% of the company, one of the most successful independent craft breweries in America. More at sierranevada.com. This week on Ask Me Another, we've got TV's favorite muscle man, Terry Crews, from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And he chats about his multiple talents and how he stays humble in Hollywood. It's dropping in your feeds Friday, January 18th on NPR's Hour of Puzzles, Word Games, and Trivia. Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And we're the host of Everything's, Everything's Coming, Coming Up, Simpsons. Simpsons. Every episode, we cover a different episode of The Simpsons that is a favorite of our special guests. We've had guests that are showrunners and writers and voice actors like Nancy Cartwright. I got a D minus, I passed! And we've also had people that are on the Max Fun Network already. We've had Weird Al Yankovic on the show. I was just uh, struck by how sharp the writing is. I mean, yeah. that's no surprise because it's The Simpsons. But, I mean, like, you can't say that about a lot, a, lot of, a lot of TV shows, particularly ones that at that point had been on the air for 14 years. Find us on MaximumFun.org, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Smell you later. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. With me now, Tony Shalhoub. He is, of course, an incredibly talented actor. He's been in films like Big Night, The Man Who Wasn't There, Spy Kids, many others. He's currently in the cast of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. You can stream the show's second season on Amazon. Let's hear a scene from Monk and my guest, Tony Shalhoub. So in this episode, this is from the seventh season of the show. Wow. Um, Monk's personal assistant, Natalie, helps a thief steal the bicycle, accidentally helps a thief steal the bicycle of a biotech CEO. And so in this clip, Monk and Natalie are getting a tour of the biotech company from one of the lab assistants, who's played by a past guest of this show, brilliant actress Pamela Adlin. Oh, love her. Dean? Dean Barry founded Beta Vegetech five years ago. So what exactly do you do? We're saving the world. Oh, good for you. I was getting a little worried about the world. Is that a square tomato? Yes, it is. It's a pet project of Dean's. The square shape means that farmers can pack 35% more tomatoes per carton. It's cheaper, more efficient. So, so that means every slice is exactly the same size? How does it taste? Who cares? It's a square tomato. You're doing the Lord's work. Literally. Dean. Uh, Mr. Barry, I just wanted to say I'm sorry about the bike. 
We're testing new corn seed. They're genetically engineered to sprout in 20 minutes. Or less. What you're seeing is going to revolutionize the agriculture industry as you know it. Congratulations on the square tomato. <laughs> I'd forgotten that. I love Pam. Um, God, I'd forgotten the square tomato. That was... It is a, it's a great line when he says, I've been feeling a little worried about the world. Whatever it is that he says there. Did you ever watch the movie A Thousand Clowns with Jason Robards? Only about 50 times. It's yeah. the reason I became an actor. And that was, that, was, that was at a time when I was in high school when, you know, you couldn't, we didn't have, you know, VHS and there wasn't any of that. When you saw a movie, you waited a year, you know, it was on TV, you waited another year for it to come around on TV again, maybe. And I was devoted to that film. And, uh, I, it was it was it was a it really moved the needle for me. Now, when you say a thousand clowns made you want to become an actor, I know it's a movie about Jason Robards plays a Single moderately guy. unsuccessful comedy writer who needs to get a job because he's responsible for taking care of his teenage son. No, he's his it's teenage actually, uh, uh, nephew. It's his sister's. Kid. Yeah, um, his sister left. Yeah, yeah. and so. He is basically facing this choice in his life, which is he has the opportunity to get a job on something that does not meet his artistic standards, um, which, you know, are difficult to pin down maybe because he's a comedy guy, you know, <laughs> and he is struggling to accept the responsibilities of adulthood. It's he knows that he has to and he knows how important it is because there's this kid. And he's falling in love as well. And it is very, very painful for him and difficult for him to be frank with himself about that and do what he has to do. Compromise. Yeah. yeah. And I know a ton of comedy people who love this movie. I've had many a conversation with longtime Conan, now Colbert, late show writer Brian Stack about it, for example. Oh. A real funny guy. And I think for a lot of comedy people... It is a deeply difficult film to watch yeah. because it asks them to confront their own complicity <laughs> in the kind of irresponsibility of creating art, especially completely frivolous art, mm. with their life. So you saying that you makes you made you want to become an artist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's a movie about the horrors and pains that come from the self-centeredness of wanting to be an artist. Exactly. Yeah. That's how sick I am. <laughs> <laughs> where did you where did you first see it? Did you first see it on TV? Yeah. I I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I was I think it was in high school when I first saw it. And uh I just remember being so struck by it and those performances and and just the whole message behind it, the whole idea about it, behind it. You know, in a sense, you know that that's always that's always uh, the dilemma of the creative person. I think you know it's uh, it's it's what Big Night was about, and you know that that sort of balancing act that you have to uh, that you have to deal with. Between art and commerce, it's that's you know one one can rarely exist without the other, 
and uh, it, it, it's a it's an ongoing challenge. Yeah, I mean, not even just art and commerce, but also the the solipsism and self regard that's required to think, oh, I could make things. And that could be my whole life. <laughs> like, you know, the amount that you have to dedicate yourself to being an artist to be an artist, mm -hmm. you know, and the kind of presumptiveness of that and the tension that that creates with your responsibilities to others, to your community, to – and that's, I think, why I – Whenever I watch A Thousand Clouds, I cry like yeah. just like a well, river. I, but I think it's 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 even beyond that because what you're talking about is it, it implies a, a, a choice, a decision, kind of an intellectual decision. And and from my my experience, and, and you know, the reality is is that that certainly that's there. But you know, the part part of the thing about creativity and, and the pursuit of art uh, is, you know, there's a compulsion there too. You know, people can't help it. They they have to do it. They, I mean, real, you know, the, the really great people, the good people, uh, and even the maybe not so good people who just have the compulsion, I'm not sure. But there's a thing where it's, it's, it's less of a, it's less of an intellectual decision. It's just, I need to do Something I I need to create this I need to do it, and if that's there you're screwed, because then you you know then you can't stop. And if you do stop, then you're just setting yourself up for a life of a different kind of torture. Well, Tony, we're out of time. I didn't even add. I mean, you got damn nine brothers I, and sisters. I, I didn't even I, mention I, it this whole time. I've just gotten started. Normally, that would have been the whole hour. Um, I'm very grateful to you for taking all this time to be on Bullseye. Uh, thank you so much for coming by. Thank you. Tony Shalhoub, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, is streaming in its entirety on Amazon right now. It's a terrific show. And this probably goes without saying, but pretty much all of the movies we talked about in this interview are great. Quick Change is great. A Thousand Clowns is great. Big Night is great. All of those four-star classics if you haven't seen them already. We've come to the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is recorded at MaximumFun.org headquarters overlooking MacArthur Park in beautiful Los Angeles, California, where... Kevin, my producer, uh, saw a bird on the lake, specifically a coot, standing on a floating palm frond. Like it wasn't a palm frond at all, but rather a little boat. That's very fun. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio is our associate producer. We get help from Casey O'Brien here at the office. Our production fellow at MaximumFun.org is Shana Deloria. Our interstitial music comes from Dan Wally, a.k.a. DJW. Thanks, as always, to Dan for sharing it with us. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Great band. Thanks to them for letting us use it. And did you know that we have been making this show for over 15 years? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shows. We're all careening toward our deaths. You can listen to all of them on our website. Just go to MaximumFun.org. We are also on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. And I guess that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. 
Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.